You know, over the last three years, and frankly, over my life um, following Jesus, um, over the last probably 20 years, there's been a lot of excitement because you never know what's going to happen. Um, I've stepped into some spaces where uh, I felt led to, you know, just have people pray with one another. And I remember a time when I was in a room uh, filled with high school and middle school students and just had a thought. That's how, like, the Holy Spirit moves in my life. It's just kind of a thought. And learning and, and wanting to just go with those thoughts and just to say, all right, let's step out and try this. And the thought years ago was um, just encourage people to pray with one another. It was a Wednesday night, and I'm like, all right, guys, I just feel like we should just be praying uh, with one another. And all of a sudden, all over the room, people started praying with one another, and I looked, and tears were, were coming down people's faces. And there's joy, and, and people were connecting, and uh, there wasn't any distraction. There was just such a holy moment where the Lord was just meeting with people. And I believe that, that anytime people come together, uh, the Lord wants to do that. And so um, as I'm just sharing things and saying, hey, like, let's try this, it's just a thought that comes to mind, and it's not sin to pray with one another. And so it's like, all right, let's step into that. And that's where I want us to have a culture here, an environment here where, um, you know, Dan had a dream. And he's like, I feel like I need to share that to encourage people. Um, and I'm like, well, let's do that. Um, we just want to have a culture where there's, there's freedom to do that. You know, I've talked um, here before that this is a place that's like a spiritual potluck, like we're all bringing things, like I'm bringing something to share, but I might not necessarily share the whole thing. Somebody else might uh, have something to share. And that's what I love about this community called Restoration Church, because very all the way at the beginning, that first Sunday, didn't know what to expect. We just wanted to worship together, and we turned to First Peter 1, and all of a sudden we got done, and there was a woman in, in uh, the, the body there that, that morning that just felt led to share something. And she came up to the front and she shared how they lost her, she had lost her son through suicide a couple months before and how the Lord was, was healing her heart. And I just remember standing there thinking like, oh my goodness, like this is a holy moment. And people are sharing and then she encouraged people to pray with one another. And so um, as we come together to worship, we have an order, but it's never just to check a box and say that we're done with this and then let's move on through the rest of the day. It's all about, like, what does the Lord want to do in this space? Because you can get good teaching out there. You can get good worship music and, and put your headphones on. But this is unique as people are sharing. And it's been unique for the last three years. And so much has happened. And it's easy to forget. But I also believe that so much more, um, the Lord wants to do so much more in this body. And just as many people have been delivered and freed, like, there's so much more. And so we come with expectant hearts. And I come this morning knowing that I probably got about five minutes before the, the pancakes really start kicking in and the sugar starts taking over and people start going into that sugar uh, coma and uh, carbohydrates coma. But I want to um, hop into Philippians 3 this morning and uh, also probably Romans 8 because I do believe, um, and somebody else shared this with me, that the Lord is not done, that the Lord wants to, uh, to unleash hope uh, this morning, uh, really wants to encourage all of us, especially in this season uh, of Christmas and, and Advent. And so I I want to turn to Philippians 3, and I've always loved this passage, and Paul is writing to a group of believers in Philippi, a group of believers that he dearly loved, and as he wrote the book of uh, the letter of Philippians, he is in jail, he's chained to a, to a jailer, and he writes them and just uh, encourages them and, and says, thank you 
Um, he, the Philippians, the book of Philippians doesn't have uh, any correction in it. He is just really encouraging them to continue on. But here we get in Philippians 3 just a peek inside of Paul's heart. Paul, who was um, super smart, uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees, like very zealous in regards to uh, his religion, was transformed by the power of Jesus. Transformed. And so we get to uh, Philippians 3, verse 9 and 10, and he says, there's nothing that compares to knowing Jesus. There's nothing that compares to having this relationship with Jesus. And that's what we're after. We're after relationship, not religion. We're after knowing Jesus. And then Paul goes on and he shares, and I want to start in verse 12. And he says this, not that I've already attained this or am already perfect. Like there's so much more to know about Jesus. But he says this, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What a powerful phrase. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ saw Paul and said, I want to know Paul. I want to have that relationship. Christ sees you. Jesus sees you, and he longs to have a relationship with you. Christ Jesus has made me his own. He goes on, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Pay attention to that. With minds set on earthly things. Their minds are focused on the things of this world. But then Paul says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I like how Paul says in verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait a Savior. Or the New Living Translation, if you have that version, it says this, it says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives. That's where our citizenship is. And we eagerly wait for him to return as our Savior. I love that attitude that Paul had in his heart. One of anticipation. Great anticipation. Like, look at that word. Like, eagerly waiting. Eagerly waiting. Actively waiting. Great anticipation of Jesus' expected return. It's this picture of, of an intense longing, a desire for something better. Paul is like, no, my citizenship is not in the things of this world. My citizenship is in heaven, and I'm looking, I'm longing for my Savior to come. Do you have that longing? Are you eagerly waiting? Is there a longing deep in your soul for the things of the Lord to come crashing into earth? Is there a deep longing in your soul? to see Jesus. I think of the word waiting. And if I'm honest, and if you're honest probably as well, we stink at waiting. No one likes waiting. I mean, you go to a fast food place and you see the line uh, through the drive-thru and you're like, no, McDonald's isn't worth it. 
Now, Chick-fil-A, on the other hand, like they get you through like that. Like there's no waiting in those lines. But we see long lines and we're like, we don't like to wait. How many of you were like me as a kid? Like I didn't like this time of year because um, I knew there were presents in the house. And I knew there were weeks until I was going to unwrap those presents. And so I, would, uh, I, I stunk at waiting. And so I would go into my parents' closet, and I knew exactly where they would hide the presents, and then I would unwrap the presents, and then I would play with the presents, and then I would wrap them back up again, and be like, all right, I'm good. Like, we stink at waiting. Did anybody else do that, or is this just my own public confession? All right. We stink at waiting. We don't like to wait unless, unless the thing that we are waiting for is totally worth it. Unless we're like, oh, there's something coming that is totally worth waiting. I remember for years, I would take kids to Cedar Point, and we would go to Sandusky, Ohio, and we'd go five hours, and we'd spend uh, two days at Cedar Point. And we would have, uh, we'd stay at this little campground, there's like these little sheds that we would stay in, and every morning they would have pancake breakfast like uh, we had this morning, except the orange juice, everything was free except the orange juice was 25 cents. I don't know why the orange juice was 25 cents, but in order to get orange juice, you had to have a quarter with you. But we would go to the park, we'd go to Cedar Point, and every year there would be that ride that everybody wanted, would want to, to ride. And you would go to this ride, and maybe it was the Magnum, or maybe it was a top throw dragster, and you would get to, to the line, and there would be a sign that would say, from this point, it's an hour and a half. And you're like, ah. Oh. And every year it would happen. You would wait in this line, it'd be an hour and a half, two hours plus, it would be hot because we would go in August, people would be sweating, it was hot and humid, and they'd be selling waters for $5. Um, But we would go through the line, seeing people standing way too close to one another, we'd go through the line and we waited for the couple hours because what we were waiting for was worth it. And as you got closer, there would be this anticipation. What is that ride going to be like? What is the top thrill dragster going to be like? And all of a sudden, you'd hop on the ride, and you'd go through the ride, and 10 seconds later, you'd be done. You're like, whoa, that was worth two hours waiting. But we waited with anticipation because we thought it was worth it. We wait with eager anticipation when what we're waiting for is worth it. And I think this drove Paul. This was the very motivation of his life. This is what he was living for. He was eagerly waiting, not looking at the things behind, but his eyes were so focused on Jesus that it dictated every part of his life. I love Paul's example. He was eagerly waiting. Why was he eagerly waiting? Because he knew his identity. He knew who he was. Did you see that in here? He says, we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. First and foremost, that is where our identity is. We belong to the Father, all through the blood of Jesus. That is where our citizenship is. We are not citizens of the United States, first and foremost. Yes, this is where we're living at this time, but we are not that first and foremost. We are citizens of heaven, and Paul knew that. Paul knew that in the very depths of his being, but he also said this, and I love this. Paul says, I don't look at what's behind. I strain forward to what is ahead. I think too often in our lives, we look in the back, and just like Dan was saying, that the enemy wants to bring up things from our past and say, you did this years ago. You had this experience, or even last night you did this. 
And so often the enemy wants us to focus in the back. And is it true that there's some things that, that happened in the past that shape us and, 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 and some things that, that cause us to act out now? Yeah, sure, there's some things in the past that shape us, but we should be more shaped by the future, having our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Paul says, I don't look at things in the past. I look forward. I look at my identity. I look at my Savior, Jesus. Because Paul could have been filled with regret. Paul's life could have been filled with so much shame. I mean, he killed followers of Jesus. He took advantage of people. I mean, like, but he says, like, all of that, he forgets what's in the past, and his eyes are firmly focused on Jesus, and he is eagerly waiting his return. There's a longing in Paul's heart that I wonder, wonder if it's in us. Is there this longing, especially this Christmas season, is there a longing deep in our hearts for the things of the Lord, for the thing, for Jesus? Turn over to Romans 8, because Paul writes and he, and he shares something very similar in Romans 8. And this is just such a powerful chapter of Scripture, and we're only going to look at a part of it. Paul talks again about eagerly waiting, and this is through a lot of Paul's writings. We're going to start at verse 18. Paul's saying this in Romans 8, verse 18, and he just talked about who he, he was or who he is as a, as a child of God, that we're adopted, we're sons and daughters of God. But in verse 18, he says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, again, he's going through times of suffering, you will have, go through suffering as a follower of Jesus. Paul says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And here's the picture here. Paul is saying all of creation is waiting eagerly. All of creation is looking with expectation, with great anticipation. He says, we who have the Spirit, we who are followers of Jesus, we are groaning, we are looking with great expectation. And why are we doing that? Why are we waiting eagerly? Because we know this. You hear this. We look around and things aren't right. Look at verse 18. He says, like, there's suffering going on. Like, there's suffering that Paul is experiencing. He says there's corruption in verse 21, that people are enslaved. Like, we look at the world, we look at our lives, we look at um, other people's lives that we know, and we know that things aren't right, that things are not the way that they should be. I mean, just this week, I was talking to somebody who just was so broken over uh, things that had happened in the past. There was so much pain, so much regret. We know, like, deep in our souls, our souls are crying out for more. And here in this section, I think we get a clear picture of one of the purposes of suffering. One of them. There's, there's, there's many. But look at it. Verse, verse 20. It says, creation 
was subjected to futility, like subjected to all of the suffering, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And what's the hope? The hope is this, that there's a time coming that Jesus will return and make everything right. But in the midst of this corruption, in the midst of this pain, it creates a longing in our hearts for more. One of the reasons that suffering exists, one of the reasons that God allows it is because this isn't our home. It gives us a longing for so much more. God allows it so there would be a longing in our heart. Creation waits with eager longing. We wait with eager longing for more. See, there's some things that can only be produced in the midst of suffering. There's some things that can only be produced in the midst of suffering. See, in good times, how often do you hear people just outraged over their own selfishness? Selfishness. Like in good times when things are going well with people, are they ever moved by, like really moved by the pride of their lives, like to really do something about it? In the midst of good times, as like things are just happening, are people like just um, losing it, maybe over the lust in their lives? No, it's in the midst of brokenness that God raises our attention to things that need to change in our lives. I remember years ago, I came across a guy, never been to church, never been a part of a community like this. And he was going through a broken relationship. And that broken relationship led him to go to the church. And he's like, I need to get my life right. It was in the midst of suffering that God was awaking him up to a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, God does his best work in the desert seasons of life, in the suffering times of life. He's pulling things out of us that need to go. See, suffering shows us things that aren't right in the world, but also things that aren't right in us. In the midst of suffering and difficulty, God it gives us a longing, longing for there to be more. Do you long for more in this world? There's so much longing. There's so much longing that the Lord wants to stir up in us. See, in this passage, it says creation waits with longing. I find that so interesting. All of creation is looking forward to things being made right. And what is creation looking forward to? looking forward to us being restored in that relationship with the Father. It says in verse 18, it says, all of creation is groaning and looking forward to the glory that will be revealed to us as sons of God. Creation waits with eager longing for our relationship to be made right. Too often, it's the reverse. We're like, oh, we're waiting for creation to be restored. No, creation is looking at us. But then also we, it says, we wait with eager longing to be adopted as sons and daughters, to be fully brought into that relationship, for our bodies to be fully healed. But I love this. It says we wait here, we wait with hope. We wait with so much hope. And that's what I believe the Lord wants to do in us this morning. Because we wait with so much hope. Look at verse, the promises in verse 18. Paul says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the sufferings that we're going through, the sufferings that we endure, the sufferings that we see, it is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. I love that. The things that we're going through, they don't even compare to what is to come. They pale in comparison. 
Look at 2 Corinthians 4. It's going to be up on the screen. I love this. Paul is, again, talking about suffering, talking about all that uh, he has experienced, talking about the gospel going forth. But he says this in the midst of um, people wanting to give up. He goes this, we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He says, we don't lose heart, though the outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. We're getting stronger every day. For this light momentary affliction... This light momentary affliction that we're going through is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I love how the message puts it. It says, I'm not giving up. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration that is prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. I just believe that the Lord wants to fill us with hope this morning. That wants to encourage us, especially in this Christmas season, to to continue on, to not lose heart, to not give up. That even when we think life is, is like there's no hope, that all hope is lost. That the kingdom of God can come breaking in in a moment. That in a moment, everything can change. And 2,000 years ago, as people were waiting and longing for the Messiah to come, hearing prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, all of a sudden, in a moment, a baby was born. And so much of the world missed it. So much of the world just kept walking by. But here, a baby was born that was no ordinary child. It was the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the entire world, the one who spoke and everything was was created, came as a baby humbly, not to be served, but to serve and give up his life. See, in a moment, everything changed. And there are two people, and I'm not going to read these passages, but in Luke 2, there's a picture of two people. There's one whose name is Simon, who was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And at an old age, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple, he's like, ah, there's the Messiah. There's another person who was in the temple as well. Her name's Anna, and you can read about her in Luke 2. Says from an early age, she was a widow. She knew pain, she knew loss, but every single day she was in the temple, she was praying and worshiping God. And there she saw Jesus, and then she spoke to those who had been waiting for the Messiah, and they said, this is him. See, our waiting, we wait with eager anticipation. We wait and we long for that day when Jesus will return. But in the meantime, we know that the kingdom of God wants to break in in different moments. And are we waiting with eager anticipation as we go through our days for the kingdom of God to come in in powerful ways? God does not want us to lose hope. God does not want us to give up. God wants us to keep pressing in, even in the midst of this December season where we go from party to party and we think, oh, I'm going to kick up my feet and kind of relax. God wants to break into your life. God wants to break into your families. God wants to break into relationships and bring about reconciliation and healing. Are we living with this eager anticipation of the kingdom of God breaking in in, in, in any moment? See, I believe that the Lord wants to fill us with hope this morning. And I want to pray in that regard. I'm going to ask the the worship team uh, to come up. And we're going to sing Firm Foundation. Um, But I know... I'll just speak for myself, but I, and just to be honest, I know I need hope this morning. 
I know life can continue and, and you just go through from one day to the next. I need to be filled with hope this morning. I need to, to, to know that God still sees and that God still cares. But I also believe that there are people, some of you in this room, that need to be filled with hope. Hope for your family situation. Hope for your lost friends. Hope for broken relationships. Hope for your kids. Maybe your kid isn't walking with Jesus. And you need to be filled with hope. I'm wondering, like, as they get ready, does anybody else just need to be filled with hope this morning? Just raise your hand. I want us to, I want us to circle up. This wasn't part of the plan. I want us to circle up. Like, just raise your hand again. And let's take a minute, and I want you to pray for these people around you, okay? I know there might be more people with their hands raised than, than aren't. And if, if you're not raising your hands, I've been in those situations where I haven't raised my hands and I feel guilty. I'm like, oh, that's fine. Like, the Lord has you praying for people, okay? Um, but raise your hand again if you need to be filled with hope. I'm one of them. If you are near a person, just put a hand on them. If, that, if they would allow that, ask for permission. I want you to pray. But I also want, I also want to pray for us. Father God, would you, would you just move by your spirit and just fill us, your kids, with so much hope. Father, for those who are looking at just things that are seen, I ask that you would melt that away and that we, like Paul, would look to things that are unseen, that our eyes would be firmly fixed on you, that you would rise up just a hopefulness that we haven't known in a while, a hopefulness that produces just such eager anticipation for our days. Father, the ways that the enemy would want to steal, kill, and destroy, we just speak to that and, and command it to stop right now in Jesus' name. Father, that you would bring your life, your abundant life to each situation. Father, I pray for your peace and your comfort to fill each one here this morning. God, you are the God of all comfort. And I ask that you would pour it out lavishly here this morning. Your comfort.